0: Hi, I'm your host Jeff Burton. At time of recording, I'm 67 years old and just this year I was diagnosed as autistic. This is my story. So loaded on board with the symptoms of CPTSD and my autistic life that I didn't know I had, um, I began the next stage of my life, which I'm going to tell you about today. Uh, I finished my degree, um, I'd fallen in love, and I decided I was going to be a teacher. Once more, Unto university, he goes. By this time, I am a completely different man. No, 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 I wasn't. I wasn't. (laughs) I had fallen head over heels in love with a wonderful woman who just happened to be a teacher and I was living with her in a unit much closer to the university. That story is for another time. I did not drive because I was afraid. But the bus was only 20 minutes. Altogether, great improvements in my life. Finally, I thought, I am all grown up. More fool me. The dip-ed experience starts with all students, about 300, lined up and interviewed in an enormous hall by the education faculty staff. I presume it was to weed out psychopaths. It didn't work. I still got in. I was a strange duck. You remember I have a BA by this time, and I was elected to teach secondary school physics, science, and mathematics. The dip-ed course had far too many contact hours, but I was happy with my life for the first time, and diligent after a fashion. When I look back now at the assignments I did, I realise I didn't have the faintest idea what was going on. Nobody did. Most of us were full of confidence that we were great teachers already and that dip-ed was a mere hurdle that we had to jump to get going on our illustrious careers. I think teaching courses should include some sergeant major figure who yells at the ranks of trainee teachers, you horrible little person, who do you think you are? You couldn't teach your way out of a wet paper bag. We all needed to know we sucked, but no one told us. You can't begin to learn something new, if you already think you know it. The common theme of most of our callow conversations was how pointless the subjects were in our course. We wanted techniques. We wanted tricks of the trade. We wanted to know how to teach calculus to chickens. And what did we get instead? We got foundations of educational philosophy. This subject was universally panned by all trainees, except for me. I thought it was interesting. I've changed my opinion over time. Now I think it was vital. The most important subject we did in our whole time at university. Needless to say, most of my colleagues thought I was crazy when I say that. And still do. Foundations introduced us to different philosophies upon which various educational approaches were based. Plato? Who cares what Plato thought? John Locke? John Dewey? Jean-Jacques Rousseau? I mean, I ask you. We all knew teaching was obvious. You just went out and you you did it. It's a rare young person who's developed the self-awareness to reflect deeply on what seems obvious to them. Perhaps educational philosophy ought to be taught to teachers after they practice for 10 years or so. By then, they may just be open to examining their deeply held beliefs about teaching and seeing what other philosophies have to offer. What we believe finds expression in our actions. We all have beliefs about what it means to be a teacher, how we view children, and what education is really all about. We absorb those beliefs passively as we sat in classes as students ourselves and observed our teachers. Somewhere deep down inside us, we have absorbed the way our parents taught us to these unexamined beliefs push into certain actions. They may be successful or not, but we will continue acting out those beliefs until they are examined. Actions follow beliefs. Write that down. Because some of these beliefs about education were gained very early in life, they can be very close to our identity and examining and critiquing them can be resistant. real resistant resisted as an attack upon the self. We all have unquestioned assumptions and beliefs that guide how we act in the world. You've already heard some of mine earlier. Many of them were unhelpful. During my dip-ed, we were also taught educational philosophy, which doesn't seem quite so useless, but strangely, I have absolutely no recollection of anything I was taught in that course. I hope I learnt about the development of the adolescent brain, how the frontal cortex is being rebuilt during adolescence and how this can lead to impulsive behaviour. I was still having impulsive behaviour. During this time, I was working in a basic operating system with few lines of faulty code. All adolescents should wear a label saying, brain under construction. So we remember and make allowances. I hope I learnt about different styles of learning. Some learnt best by listening, some by doing, some by seeing. Something enormous like that would have needed to be catered for in the classroom. I hope we learnt about it. Of course, we learnt our content areas. Content, in my case maths and physics, was really the only thing that mattered to us. You needed to know the stuff you were going to teach and the best way to teach that stuff. That was all we cared about. The trouble being that the stuff we had to teach was changing all the time. Curricula in schools are undergoing constant review as are assessment and reporting. We were yet to grasp that the only thing constant over our career would be change. It wears practising teachers down. We should have been taught how to deal with change. What else should aspiring teachers learn? Perhaps we were too focused on learning things. One of the Delphic maxims might be of use here. Know thyself, those wacky Greeks again. I have already noted that many or even most entrants into teacher education courses have a mixture of dubious motives and unexamined beliefs that have led them to teaching. I certainly did. Imagine if, while completing their one year of teacher training, all teacher applicants needed one year of psychotherapy to qualify for employment. I can just see the government paying for that, can't you? If they did, it would be a far-sighted investment in the future. We'd lose uh, fewer teachers to burnout and get a better quality of graduates. I wish I'd had some therapy. I could have avoided so many painful missteps. I wish I'd known I was autistic. I wish I understood myself more. I'm a big fan of psychotherapy. I've had lots. It invariably leads to insights that affect every area of your life, including your professional life. If beliefs underpin our actions as teachers, how much more do they underpin every area of our lives? Examining them is tough work. But made a habit can lead to self-reflection, which in turn increases our capacity to improve in all areas of our life. And not be an idiot in relationships. The unexamined life is not worth living, but the examined life is still difficult. The difference is that the difficulties in the examined life can be productive. There is a psychological process called psychotherapeutic integration. The aim of this process, and it is a continuing process, is to integrate the personality, uniting the affective, cognitive, behavioural and physiological systems within a person. Usually we are all a bit fractured. We behave differently in different social situations, different emotional states. Sometimes our actions and beliefs can be distinctly contradictory. Mine were. If we embark on an integrative process, we stand more of a chance chance of acting out of a united, whole and authentic self. It's my contention that teachers who are authentic are the best teachers. Teachers who play act as a teacher are usually just imitating a model teacher in their head. Who wants an imitation when you can have the real thing? Over the coming years, I would learn how to act like a good teacher. But it was imitation. Imitation was how I lived. The most important part of the dip-ed year to ask the trainees was the practical teaching component. Several times a year, we'd go out in groups into schools to be assigned a mentor teacher and gradually begin to practice our craft on real students in real classes. This could be a hit or miss process as a trainee. You could land a good mentor or a bad one. They had control over your future. On their word, you could pass or fail, and no one could pass the course without having passed the practical part of it. The mentor I was assigned was a young physics teacher, only a few years older than me. It was a completely forgettable experience, so I have forgotten it, except for one small detail. The university assigned various teaching staff to visit student teachers in their natural habitat of the classroom observed them teaching and discussed their progress or lack thereof with the mentor teacher and generally smoothed the process. It was a year 11 physics class where this teacher, visiting, uh, found me. He wasn't one of my lecturers, so he had no idea of who I was. It just so happened I was sitting in the back of the classroom observing my long-haired mentor teach. I, and my receding hairline, welcomed the lecturer who sat next to me at the back of the classroom. Well, he said, how's he going? He's doing quite well, I said. No problems. He left satisfied. And so did I. All of the student teachers were housed in one empty staff room with not a single real teacher in contact with us apart from class time. We all affected a weary cynicism we hadn't earned, and spoke demeaningly of the students, the staff, and the school. That's what real teachers did after all. The last three months of my dip-ed year were a teary, blurred disaster. I broke up with my girlfriend, and I was bereft. I moved back home and sunk into a deep depression. The dip-ed meant nothing to me now. My world had come to an end. I couldn't finish assignments, I didn't attend class, I cried a lot. The university had a counsellor. I cried for him. I think I scared him. This turned out to be a tactical move. I think he let all staff know how vulnerable I was and everybody was afraid to fail me. I passed. I cried. Here I was, totally prepared for my first real teaching job. I cried so he steps out into the world fully loaded with anxieties and traumas false hopes and illusions pretty much the same as everyone else then i want to say at this point that this story is not a tragedy it's not a triumph either i don't want this to be a self-pitying indulgence Nor do I want it to be a profile in courage. I want it to be a story of a plodding endurance. One day at a time, life goes on. My hope is that you may see that we are all damaged. Yet many of us make hopeful, positive lives despite, and perhaps because of, our damage. I use my life for illustration purposes, mostly because this is the only life that I can recall being inside of. This is just life, and life is difficult. But puppies, I fumbled through relationships, tiring everyone, including myself, with my passions, both positive and negative. I was very immature, and it showed. I was going to write about the time that my, with I, my first real girlfriend, but I, frankly, I am too embarrassed. Suffice to say, I behaved appallingly from time to time. I was insanely jealous and expected her to betray me. I was nice too, but not often or consistently enough. I was just psychologically unprepared for adulthood and certainly for thinking of others before myself. I shudder at how I treated her and marvel at how long that relationship lasted." From the vantage point of the slightly more mature and more medicated man that I have become, I wish I could apologise to her. Sadly, like so many in my life, those bridges are burnt. My autism comes with intensity, and intensity is not inherently bad. I was pushed around by my emotions more than my will. Channel positively... Intensity brings great gifts to the world. Think of all the artists who produce such great work because they burn so brightly. Passion, physical, emotional and creative, is a powerful force. The tricky part is to gain at least enough control over your own intensity and how you express it to retain some of that energy, but be able to navigate around the rocks of the destructive behavior that so often comes with it. As I look back, I recognise my faults and I am ashamed of how I behaved. Shame plays a big part in my life. This shame comes to visit me in the dark hours of the night. I regret all the pain I caused, not just to those who dared to love me, but to all people who suffered from my moodiness, my irritation and my self centeredness over the years. This shame weighs on me. This weight has been my constant, dark hours companion in my later years. I traumatised myself. As usual, I had no idea what's going on. But just lately, thanks to my therapist, I've begun to learn something. And not just learn it, but to feel things shifting in my core. Or that could just be bad pizza. When I tell her of some tale of woe from long ago, full of regret over my behaviour, she will listen attentively and say, oh, you mean you were being human? Her label is different from mine. My label is bad or worthless. Hers is human. I've begun to see myself as less of a bad person and more of a human. And like other humans making mistakes, and behaving less than ideally from time to time. If there really are bad people, and I'm not sure there are, then they probably don't lie in bed regretting how they've hurt someone in the past. Thanks for listening. Next time, more adventures in my semi-adult life. (laughs) I hope you join me for that. Thank you and goodbye.